So we were talking about Ridley Scott briefly last week, you and I, and then somehow that spun out of control. And here we are, Tom. We are talking about the Alien franchise. Yes. And, you know, Ridley Scott maybe gets he gets he deserves a lot of credit for what works in this franchise. Um, But also he maybe dominates it too much uh, compared to, you know, how much he actually made. I mean, he made a trilogy of alien movies, but also there's a lot of other weird ideas and styles and whacks at this concept, too, that are not very Ridley Scott. No, no, no. Dan O'Bannon, is he the is he the man behind it all, I think? Yeah, well, it's a, I guess my my take would be he's the one who uh, my understanding is his wife was pregnant and he was sort of disturbed by the concept of pregnancy and just, you know, as a sci-fi writer, he's thinking about body horror as it relates to life inside life and where you can go with that. And that that's really the root of the ideas that I think are most interesting, at least an alien. And I don't think that's really even what Ridley was that interested in because he takes it in these weird different direction but O'Bannon seemed like the person we really should credit as the author of the main idea right right I think so too wow that's interesting I had no idea that was the genesis of it so alien and eraserhead are kind of the same (laughs) the same impulses here yeah men trying to understand pregnancy (laughs) horrifies us it really does. It really does. So what we're doing here, Tom, is we are going to power rank the Alien franchise. I've taken the scores from IMDb, from Letterboxd, from Rotten Tomatoes. We normalize the score and we uh, you know, spit it out and see what it looks like. And so we have an official Alien franchise power ranking. And I think number eight is going to come as no surprise to anybody. It's Alien versus Predator Requiem from 2007. Yeah, you couldn't even get me to watch that for this, so I'm not shocked. <laughs> it's it's not great. Uh, you took it on the chin with uh, Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I skipped that one so I could watch a, 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 a few other Coen Brothers movies. So I took this one on the chin, and I think I got the worst end of the deal on this one, Tom. Yeah, I think I messaged you this when you originally proposed that as the trade-off, which is I think that would make Joel Cohen cry if he knew that was the, <laughs> the way we handled this. <laughs> It would make Ethan laugh, though, right? Isn't yes. that what we learned? Yeah, 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 I think that's about right. But yeah, Alien vs. Predator Requiem. I mean, I, I remember it coming out because what I remember when it came out was I think this one is rated R and the original one was PG-13. And that was right. kind of the only buzz around it, which is never that great of a sign. Uh, the cheap R-rated sequel uh, it didn't sound great to me. I skipped it. I did see the first one. Also wasn't impressed. So yeah, <laughs> it doesn't surprise me that it's not uh, magic in a bottle. Lightning in a bottle. I mean, they do. Uh, they do. They do go for the R rating. Uh, we see chest bursters coming out of pregnant women, out of a child. Like they are. They're swinging for the fences. That's really what we're doing here <laughs> with this eighth alien movie. So the the I know the, in the original one, it's sort of like this cosmic battle that's always been uh, in like the Earth's core. So you've got this kind of at the mountains of madness set up. And then the idea is that predators are keeping the aliens at bay. How, how do they handle that in the sequel? Are the aliens have escaped. Uh, in a manner of speaking, uh, our hero. Okay, so we're, we're going to blend Alien versus Predator and the second one, I think, together here in this one, because Alien versus Predator is n- number seven. Right? So it it picks up like a minute after Alien versus Predator ends. Um, there is a predator alien hybrid exploding out of this guy's chest and wrecking havoc with the ship. It crashes the ship back into Earth and then they send a fixer. The predator people send a fixer to come handle this this situation. 
and this is the the heart this is the 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 what's the guy's name for pulp fiction the wolf uh is coming the wolf, in. yeah 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 winston wolf had the bold idea of just putting a dead body in a car and taking it to the junkyard okay <laughs> So, I mean, that sounds like the kind of idea that could work if it's campy. Is it, is it campy or is it just oh, dumb? No, it's it, unfortunately, it's just dumb. It's it's just dumb. And I'm giving you kind of a ballpark idea of what the movie's about because no bullshit. It's almost impossible to see what's going on in this movie. So this is this is this is battling White Walker territory here has how hard it is to see anything that's going on. It was the uh, DP from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre of all things of the which, which of the Texas Chainsaw Massacres? Numero uno. Really? OK. Yes. So uh, was he shooting digitally on this? Because, I mean, it seems like now with digital lighting, everybody just sort of doesn't do any lighting, which makes everything really <laughs> dim. No, I mean, it was pitch black. It was very difficult to see. And that's too bad because some of the sequences actually sounded quite exciting. But, you know, I was just having to imagine what was on there. I mean, it's the Brothers Strauss directed it. I don't know if you're, you're aware of these guys. They did the Skyline franchise. That's a alien invasion movies, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. The, I guess the highlight of Skyline is it's got the blonde lady from um, from Club Dread. That's about all I took away from watching that. Uh, well, I'll, I'll give them that. I guess they they uh, they must not be so bad. If if Club Dread led them to cast her, then I'm on their side. We had a mother um, uh, war vet returning home, uh, you know, from seeing action overseas. Uh, we had high school bullies that were like the most unnuanced high school bullies I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm not surprised they didn't try that hard. It sounds like they didn't think they needed to, and uh, I don't know. I I will probably never watch this one, and I'm not shocked that uh, I think. The problem with both of these movies is if they were just monster movies on their own, they probably would not be judged that harshly. But the baggage of taking two franchises that people have some degree of affection for mm-hmm. does these movies no favors. Yeah. Yeah. But did you, did you uh, look up the brother Strauss? Have you seen this amazing filmography? You know, I, I think I, it's possible that I did see Skyline forever ago. I don't remember much. And it was a, that was a time when there were a lot of these, uh, you know, CGI heavy alien invasion movies. Yeah. And uh, it did not leave an impression if I did see it. So I can't <laughs> say I'm huge fans of them. I don't know that there's anything more to say about alien versus predator requiem. Let's just move to the number seven. As we mentioned, alien versus predator. And this is, I mean, okay. As far as our point value, it's up on the screen, Tom, so you can see it. Our mm-hmm. point value is significantly better than alien versus predator requiem but i wouldn't say this is uh you know anywhere near an average alien movie yeah well as i was saying before it's kind of the at the mountains of madness setup and i was thinking as i was preparing for this that if only guillermo del toro would have agreed to put some aliens and predators in this movie this passion project of his he probably could have gotten it made because <laughs> you know it's not like it's not like this is a, a movie that seems like that much of a labor of love. Uh, it's I, I recall it being basically inoffensive other than the fact that it's a very dumb direction to take either franchise. It, yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, it started off like a like a Dean Devlin, Roland Emmerich type movie. All these disparate people in, in disparate lands all coming together and and then getting all killed. <laughs> It's, you know, it's at least, I guess it's taking a, a swing at a different way to do an alien or a predator movie because both of the, we'll, we'll talk about this, but predator movies, you know, they, they've got like the formula. You sort of have the formula for how to do a predator movie. Aliens kind of got that, but also all over the place. 
So they're not opposed to the idea of like, let's mix it up. Let's try something new, even though I I wouldn't say this was especially successful. I never thought I'd see a Predator movie or maybe I should say an alien Predator movie that dealt with uh, ancient aliens and chariots of fire. Was it chariots of fire? What's the uh, the, Um, the 70s book? Um, Yeah, the the Von Danikin one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. I, I was telling you, they, uh, they were, I think this was right before kingdom of the crystal skull. So, you know, they, they beat Indiana Jones to that, uh, <laughs> ancient aliens, hollow earth, little thing gun to my head. I don't know which one I'd rather watch <laughs> like, again, crystal skull or alien versus predator. Yeah. Which, whichever one's shorter. Oh, I mean. that's right. That's right. So why are, why are people obsessed with ancient aliens, either populating <laughs> earth or enslaving earthlings? Um, so I, I, uh, I did talk to a lot of these guys. I used to do my mm-hmm. very first radio show was paranormal radio. Um, because I figured this was during the, uh, the history channel takeover by all the paranormal weirdos. I thought these guys will talk to me if I invite them on a show. And I was correct. Uh, and my biggest takeaway was not actually that much insight into history or into the appeal, but that all of these guys, when the mics were off would pretty candidly be like, Oh no, this is a job. Like I am an actor on TV. Uh, don't, don't ask me too uh, many questions. Oh Lord. That's so disappointing. Yeah. Well, it's like everything else. It's like politics, religion, you know, they're all just, uh, they're all just actors. That's true. We're not actors here though, Tom. This is the real deal. That's right. We don't get paid <laughs> enough to be acting. He was genuine. <laughs> Very true. Um, I don't know. Like uh, <laughs> Kubrick dealt with uh, primitive earth and primitive aliens in 2001 don't don't tread on ground that kubrick's already walked over yeah that's that's good advice for filmmakers who will never follow it (laughs) everyone else is dumber than kubrick that's the that's the uh little ribbon we're gonna put on alien versus oh paul ws anderson i should we've got to say something about him the hallmark of mediocrity paul ws anderson yeah, you know, he. I guess he'd probably qualify as your favorite Paul Anderson, though. <laughs> it's a neck and neck race. If your man, Paul and- uh, P.T. Anderson, had directed Event Horizon, he would be much higher up on my list. I don't think he has something like that in him. And pa- Paul W.S. Anderson, his movies, I think they're generally watchable. They're generally like close to a movie that I like, and they just <laughs> don't quite get there. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll leave Paul W.S. Anderson alone because I really want to talk about number six on our list. Leaps and bounds ahead of Alien versus Predator, but still ranking below average is 1997's Alien Resurrection, number six. Yeah, this is a weird. I mean, we're basically in the territory of like, this is a weird one. This is a weird one. This is a weird one. Uh, they, they clearly had no idea what to do with the Alien franchise after Aliens. Uh, so alien three and alien resurrection are just kind of flailing, looking for an angle looking for a style, looking for an identity, looking for what to do with Ridley and, uh, with Ripley. And, you know, it's, it's sort of like, uh, it's a swing that is kind of interesting. Uh, it has a visual personality. It's got a bunch of actors who have, you know, they're bringing energy that is kind of fun to watch, but it's just not a coherent movie in any kind of interesting way. So it doesn't really work for me. I don't hate watching it. Um, You said you like movies that are kind of messes, but still have some energy about them, a little flow. This one has energy. It is a mess. Yeah, it's well, I. I can't, I think the the problem I see with three and four is the filmmakers, the directors don't seem to like the scripts that much, right? In both cases, it's like all any of the thematic, interesting content 
is really disconnected from the style and the attempt at trying to bring anything out of it. So I see almost like these, these talented, but bored directors trying their best to bring some energy to a subject that they have no inherent interest in. And so, uh, it is a mess. It's not the kind of mess that I'm particularly uh, excited to go back to. I think I've seen this movie <laughs> once a very long time ago and then I rewatched it for this, but, yeah. uh, yeah, it's, you know, three and four, unfortunately for, for what does work in the things that are interesting and both of them have interesting ideas and themes. I think they're both just kind of boring. Yeah. I mean, uh, this is just in my mind and I, I messaged you about this. I think this, this, this movie is ugly ugly yes. on every level i'm not talking about the cinematography i'm talking about it's very soul <laughs> is ugly every character is ugly i don't believe that like this crew on the uh, betty can 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 coexist without killing each other and themselves it's just it's wrong at every turn there's no likable characters there's no hero in this movie i know uh you, you may disagree with me a little bit but well, because of who wrote it, I'll disagree with you. I think Joss uh, has one answer. Joss Whedon, it's always the woman who you should root for. Yeah, but she's not likable. She's not this alien Ripley thing. I mean, give us somebody. Winona is, you know, Winona being Winona. She's kind of a non-entity in this. Yeah, well, it is that everybody just likes Winona. So that's kind of close enough to a protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I do like some of um, Jean-Pierre, how do you say that, Junet? I'm American. Yeah, I, Janae. Yeah. I like a lot of his You're closer to the French than I am where you live. <laughs> I don't, I like a lot of his stuff, uh, especially pre uh, alien resurrection. Uh, I think he's got, he's got an amazing eye, but he made some choices that just scratched made me scratch my head. Like uh, Sigourney was very proud of her, her one take basketball shot. She throws a basketball overhead and it goes in the hoop. And she said she did that, you know, boom, it was real, but the ball gets cut off out of the frame. Like it diminishes it. Like think about it. What you're, what he was on total autopilot, man. Yes. Yeah. I think he was. And I mean, he's a guy who like, he excels at the grotesque and I can see why it would make sense to marry him with the alien franchise in general, because it's always kind of flirting with the grotesque in various ways The the alien itself is, you know, maybe the epitome of a grotesque image on screen. Um, but I don't know this tonally, something doesn't click between what he's trying to do, the story that Joss Whedon's trying to tell whatever the producer's demands were. I think we all, with three and four in particular, you just have people polling in all these different directions. You got Sigourney giving it her best, but it's like, it's not even clear what she's supposed to be doing in any of these movies. And so <laughs> it's, you know, they're, they're kind of interesting oddities, but they're not really good. No, no, I. It is something. It's something. I, I can't say I'm never going to watch Alien Resurrection again, but it's going to be a good long while. Yeah. yeah, I need to wait until I've forgotten most of it, and then I'll go back <laughs> and then remember why I had to wait. Exactly. Well, that's very forgettable. Uh, number five on the list, still below average, actually pretty, pretty close to uh, Alien Resurrection, is Alien 3, directed by one of your favorites. Yes. Yeah, so and So David Fincher... This was his first movie, and I think it the most generous reading I have of it is he had such an unpleasant time making it that it turned him into the control freak that we all love. He needed this big mess to make sure that he would never make something like this again. And other than Mank, uh, Mank and Benjamin Button would be the only two that really uh, fall shy. But otherwise, that guy, you know, he really turned into one of the best filmmakers out there. And uh, he hated making Alien 3. I think he has disowned it. He uh, I talked to Adam Naiman, who wrote the book on Fincher about this, mm -hmm. and he said basically Fincher's take was that this is a movie that basically has no author. 
because there's so many producers notes and drafts and pieces of ideas that everybody felt like they had to get in there. And so he was trying to wrangle a million people's takes again, none of which were particularly cohesive and he's trying to make a movie. But I think the biggest problem is what Fincher is good at is filming people who are obsessed, who are kind of in the middle of this process that is obsessive, that gives them meaning. And the script is kind of interested in these big lofty ideas that I don't think Fincher is very interested in. So you get a, a movie that's very easy to watch the way that Fincher's movies tend to be. But again, I just, I don't feel like Fincher would even want to have a conversation about the themes of alien three, let alone <laughs> that he doing anything with them. So which, okay. Which cut of the movie did you watch? There's a, a, a few different. Yeah. So I, I had seen the theatrical forever ago. I re I did. I watched the, uh, the longer one. I think they sometimes call the assembly cut the mm -hmm. special edition and it's longer. It has more scenes that are interesting, but I don't think it fixes any of the, the real flaws of the movie, which is, I don't know the plot of this movie. It's not bad. It's got kind of elements of Western. It's got almost elements of like a goofy old fifties sci-fi movie. Um, and I think that it's, it just can't decide how seriously to take itself or not. I think maybe there's a campier version of this story. That's funny, but it's like so serious and Fincher brings so much gravitas to it that it's just sort of this dumb, very self-serious movie that doesn't really go anywhere except the obvious directions. I agree with you a hundred percent. I remember watching this when it came out uh, v, uh, no, VHS, you know, of all things and being very disappointed, being very disappointed. Uh, I think Ebert, I think Ebert of all people put it perfectly. He said, this is one of the best bad looking movies I've ever seen. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, Fincher, Fincher can't shoot a movie that looks bad. No. He's made a couple bad movies, but they're all, I mean, on a technical shot by shot level, the guy's a master. Alien three. We hardly knew you. Yeah. Just, well, you know, like the prison plot. I think there's a kind of an inherent problem. Well, like the biggest problem was we're going to kill off Newt. Newt. We're gonna, yeah. yeah. Just like in the opening credits, that was going to piss everybody off. And if you're going to do something that bold in the first 30 seconds, you better have a good story. Like there better be something, some reason why we did that other than just, well, we're kind of done with her. Uh, we're going to make this, you know, I don't, I mean, I, again, I don't really know what this movie's totally trying to do because I think it's five different people's visions all competing for the big mission and uh, it never really finds its way. Right. Well, the pre-production, I mean, if you, if you haven't read about that, you should read about the pre-production of alien three. It was all over the place multiple scripts and yeah it, it's bob Iger on a good day how he makes movies now <laughs> yeah that's i don't know it's it's a, I, it, the whiplash of this series is something i was talking about before which is kind of funny that you go from the very serious horror if horrific uh first one to the kind of goofy action movie impulses of james cameron to the really serious alien three to the kind of wacky grotesque four to alien versus predator to prometheus it's just they, they, they just have no idea where they want to go with it at any moment. And they almost always will go the opposite. It's almost always this like knee jerks guiding things. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess that takes us to our next movie on the list. Number four. This is as close to average as any alien movie we have on the list. And this is a very good one to bring up. We're talking about whiplash. It's uh, alien covenant. Yeah. I mean, so this one, I can't blame on a bunch of producers notes. Exactly. I think that it's kind of a casualty of Fox wanting a more traditional alien movie after Prometheus wasn't really one. Um, and so they told Ridley, I guess, you know, you, you got to bring in the Xenomorph. It's got to be something that looks a little bit more like an alien movie or we don't want to make another one. 
And so he he alien threes himself, which is the weirdest <laughs> thing. Because he, he sets up Shaw uh, from Prometheus as kind of going on this odyssey. And Prometheus seemingly consciously doesn't really have a third act because we're getting there in the next one. And then, uh, oh, yeah, she died between movies. And like, oh, okay, she's just gone. And we announced the Michael Fassbender show. And uh, not, not in a very interesting way, though. No, no, it wasn't. I mean, he, I think Fassbender is a good actor. I think he's interesting. I like David at times. I think he's doing it well, but it's just, it falls flat. It, it falls flat. The big shocking reveal of what David does is not that big of a shocking reveal. Yeah. Uh, John Logan, who wrote this one, uh, had said that he wanted to make it his Frankenstein movie, which I guess fine, but like to take alien, which is about, you know, if, if the root of alien and what was sort of horrific about it was trying to wrap your mind around procreation to now turn it into just, you know, Victor Frankenstein makes a monster feels very reductive and like a step backward from the way that it already was playing with some of those themes. I think uh, one of its worst crimes is it also squanders Danny McBride. We can't. Yeah. Danny McBride, you know what, what a weird career he's had in mainstream <laughs> horror this last decade. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if he knows what he's doing. He might just be kind of along for the ride, having fun with what offers roll in. Uh, not, not, not a Danny McBride performance. I uh, particularly like, I guess he wasn't bad exactly, but like why cast him if he's not going to get to do anything fun? I don't, I don't get it either. Um, I, alien covenant was perfectly fine. I can see why it's basically an average movie, but it was absolutely forgettable. I, it, alien three alien resurrection have stuck with me. And for, I mean, for better or for worse, I'm going to remember that preg- the alien shooting out of the pregnant woman's stomach in Alien versus Predator Requiem. I cannot remember much about Alien Covenant at all. Oh, the things that stick out to me are not great things. Like I remember, <laughs> uh, I remember James Franco is the dead captain of the ship or something. Oh uh, yeah, and he's in it for. There's like a picture of James Franco on the wall. I think there's like a brief video message from him and why James Franco's in it for 25 seconds. I don't know. Was that Danny McBride being like, Hey, we got to get James in this, but it all it does is take me out of the movie. Um, <laughs> like celebrity cameos in an alien movie. So weird to begin with. That's where we've come. Um, you're right. Yeah. Then, then the, the other thing I, I think of is, so you had not only one Michael Fassbender, but two. So there's David who's now the mad scientist on the planet, mm-hmm. but then they have their other Android. And so we have two Michael Fassbenders, uh, Walter, I think was the other one where Michael Fassbender is doing the worst American accent you've ever heard. Oh, and yeah. they're, they're like playing flutes at each other because I guess we need some homoerotic tension between the two androids. Like, uh, I don't, I don't know what exactly they were going for. That's the image I remember the most from this movie though, which is probably not great. I think he had the same linguistic coats as uh, lady Gaga when she did uh, Gucci. <laughs> the Dracula accent is what I would call <laughs> yeah. that one. I don't know. Is there anything else to talk about Alien Covenant? Really? Uh, just that it's it's weird that that Ridley Scott would come back to Alien, seemingly have some degree of a vision, some real themes that he wants to explore. It seems like in Prometheus, and then just abandon all of it with Covenant. Like, why why did he even make Covenant? I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. He should have walked away, right? Like, he's not going to do the follow up to Prometheus. He's not going to answer any goddamn questions he had. I yeah. Mean, he, he just came back to do a mid-tier alien sequel and just abandon everything. <laughs> he seemingly brought him back. I don't get it. I think we can talk about Ridley a little bit more with this next movie, too, because I think there's a bigger topic at hand. Number three on the list. Above average. Take it that for what it's worth. Prometheus from 2012. 
Yeah, I you know, I I like Prometheus. It is a, a flawed movie. There are real problems with it. Um, I think it, as I've already said, it's a movie that doesn't seemingly have a third act. Um, it sets up a lot of interesting ideas. It feels like a movie that has kind of a coherent, at least interest in its own themes, which the series has struggled with for a long time. But um, I think that it's something that I was thinking about with Ridley Scott in general. And I was thinking about even with uh, his Moses movie, with uh, with Blade Runner, with Napoleon even. But he goes back to this theme of people who are looking up to someone or something, whether it's like a God or a parent or some version of the two and to, to sort of like need to find meaning in your own creation, but then to have the creator either be indifferent or actively hostile to you. Uh, that's a theme that he's gone back to a few times. And I think it is an interesting dynamic. And so here we're back in ancient aliens territory. We've got Shaw who wants to meet God more or less mm-hmm. and thinks that all, all meaning can sort of be solved with her own sort of pro- problems with uh, procreation. And so like we got kind of an interesting thematic setup meeting God in theory is the answer to everything. She meets God. God does not like humans and God does not care about humans and humans are this p- sort of puny things to him. And I think that was interesting that juxtaposed with David, the AI kind of in his comp- complicated and eventually hostile relationship with his creators all of that mostly works for me. It's the fact that the story doesn't really go anywhere beyond those ideas that I have issues with. You, you're absolutely right. It sets up a lot of interesting questions and it has no interest in this movie of answering them. This is what we call the Lindelof special. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, he, he and JJ Abrams were a good match for each other making pilots for TV because that is what a pilot does, right? It sets up a lot of interesting ideas, characters, conflicts, and then uh, somebody else can end it. Right. It's not going to be our problem. How much? Okay. We've talked about this a little bit. Let's spin this off into a bigger conversation about Ridley. How much does he really care about story? How much does he get story? I have said, I don't believe Blade Runner. I don't believe that when he sat down and shot Blade Runner, he necessarily believed Decker was a replicant. I don't think he thought about that until much later in the process. Yeah. Well, I was saying to you, the fact that he has made, he's almost pioneered the director's cut, Mm -hmm. um, not necessarily out of studio interference a lot of the time, but just because he himself realizes a year later what the story was. And he feels like, oh, actually, if I go back and add 15 minutes or make a few cuts here and there, I can tell the story I was trying to tell the first time. It seems like he's the kind of guy who, while he's making the story, is not introspective. And then once he's done with it, gets away from it for a little bit, he can look back and say, oh, I see what it was supposed to be. Um, and though, interestingly, Prometheus does not have a director's cut, although I hear there's some interesting deleted scenes on the DVD. Oh, really? I guess you're right. I, well, I, just, what, what else can you add? The story's there. It's, uh, it's, it's, all, it's all laid out. There's not going to be any other mysteries to it. Um, yeah, I find that really fascinating about Ridley and uh, kind of discovering the story while maybe he's shooting the, pro- uh, the shooting the project, maybe when he's editing the project, he starts to kind of see maybe what the story's about. He must just approach it from a more visual perspective, right? Yeah. Well, he notoriously shoots very fast, edits very fast. He's not hands-on in the edit, it sounds like. Like, he'll sort of come in and say, yeah, looks good. So I think he, he just moves from project to project, but he mm. is a smart guy, and yeah. I think he does have good taste. And so sometimes he's able to sort of, Again, sort of like at a moment, it all clicks for him, but he's more of a process guy than he is uh, that much of an idea guy. Oh, I can see that. His brother, Tony, maybe is on even on the further end of that spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. Lindelof did say that 
Prometheus was written basically through uh, sitting and talking to Ridley Scott every day for a month. And the two of them just went through ideas and ideas and ideas. And Ridley had so much that he was feeding to Damon Lindelof. And then Damon Lindelof wrote it into the script. And so to me, it might've been the both of them feeding the same bad impulse, which is like, we're not sure what to do with these, but we do have some interesting things to talk about. There's some interesting conversations that seem to lead to interesting plot strands, just not much of a plot itself. Right. And then it all just goes away. We'll never know. We'll never know. Right. That's, yeah. that's the heartbreaker. Uh, really. It does set up interesting questions. I honestly am on the fence. I cannot decide if I like Prometheus, if I love Prometheus, or if I really hate Prometheus, because all those things are inside me while I'm watching it. All those emotions are coming out. I love it. I hate it. I kind of like it. Yeah, I, I think it it gets what uh, what I like about the first Alien, which is the designs and sort of that foreboding feeling of doom. Yeah, which the rest of the other movies don't really capture in an interesting way, but it, it has that. It's got the right feeling. It's got a good cast. It's got some de- some decent characters, some stupid characters. You know, kind of a mixture. But uh, you know, it's it's really close to working. So I'll, I give it the benefit of the doubt. Gotcha. There. It is a beautiful looking movie. I will say that. Just gorgeous. Yeah. Let's move on to holy cow top two and it's close. Oh my word. Is it close? These two movies are neck and neck for the number one spot, but aliens from 86 is number two. Yeah, this is where I'm going to, everyone's going to hate me because I, uh, I, I like aliens. I think it works as an action movie. It doesn't really do what I like about alien. And so I think that, as an alien sequel, it, it kind of has the, the inevitable problem and maybe there's no good solution to it, which is a horror movie will never be able to sort of recapture that feeling of dread and suspense before you really know what the thing is. And so it's trying to compensate for that by not really trying to replicate that. It's making itself into something of a slightly adjacent genre. Um, and it's pulling out all the tricks that James Cameron likes to pull out. Like now there's kids uh, there's a lot of sort of ideas he seems to be playing with still in the Avatar movies. Um, but, you know, he built this big epic action movie that I think diminishes the creature in kind of ways that I don't love. But it, it's an easy watch. Uh, I, I enjoy it. It's not a movie I go back to much, though. You're not. You're, yeah, you're not the first one I've read about this that most people, th- uh, not most people, but I have read opinions where some people thought the aliens have been diminished because of this movie. Well, don't you think? I mean, they're, they're yeah. just not as scary if you can just shoot them down. No, they're not as scary as if you can just shoot them down. But I, I agree with your sentiment. There's nowhere to go with it. And uh, I think Sam Raimi watched this movie with great interest saying, so if you make a sequel, you just change the genre, huh? Yeah. Uh, and thank God for that. That might be the best argument that I should I should loosen my, my uh, dislike of uh, my reservations toward aliens. I think it's one of the best action movies maybe maybe ever made. I think it's right up there. I think a lot of uh, movie, I hate to say this word because it used to mean something, but like movie geeks, it doesn't mean what it used to mean. There's a, there's a point of entry. And I think for a lot of people my age, Aliens was that point of entry. Maybe Terminator was for some people, but Cameron was a point of entry for us going, oh, wow, there's a, you know, really interested about this. And, and I want to explore, you know, just explore film a little bit more. Yeah. And, you know, we were just talking about this, but one of the things that Cameron does amazingly in these early movies is he knows exactly who to cast for every little part. So every, every single character who's on screen for, you know, more than 30 seconds, there's something interesting that they're bringing to the energy of the movie or the momentum of the scenes. And I think that that does a lot 
to carry some of what I would say is less exciting impulses. And I wish that he was still doing that as he makes Avatar for the rest of his life. No, Avatar is going to be just generic oatmeal. Don't <laughs> vanilla ice cream. Just it's working. You know, that's the thing. I can complain about him all I want, but uh, clearly he understands the general populace and what they want more than I do. What a great impulse to put Paul Reiser in as a piece of shit. I love that. It still yeah, makes me yeah. laugh. Yeah, exactly. All right. It's a masterpiece. Tom doesn't like it that much. He called it the, he called it to me a one-on-one, the Rambo, if it Ram, how would you even pronounce that word? Rambo two-ification. Rambo two-ification. <laughs> of, of daily. Well, I stand by that because I think you got this kind of very interesting, uh, more serious piece with the first one. You get this James Cameron influenced big, I mean, successful action movie. But the question is like, was that really a great turn for the series? Uh, or was that just a good action movie? And that's, that's where my, it's, 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 it's alien and Rambo. They're the same thing. Hey, okay. There you go. And maybe they should have done alien versus Rambo. Maybe that would have been, oh man, you know, Sly would do that in a heartbeat. That, they were floating that idea that Rambo was going to be like somewhere in a cold, I want to say, and they encounter like an alien monster. Yeah. I remember reading about that on ain't it cool news forever Ooh. ago. I think, I think there was a script floating around. I want to say even there was like an idea that it would be Rambo teams up with Shia LaBeouf to hunt an alien or something. So it's a a shame we didn't get that one. It was a dark time in American history when we thought Shia LaBeouf was uh, worthy of carrying movies. Yeah, I don't know. Well, you know, there's always time. (laughs) He's still alive. Both of them are still alive. We could make this alien movie. Number one on the list. I know this is going to come as a shocker to everybody, but it was close. It was really, really close. Alien, 1979. Yes. <laughs> and it, uh, it deserves it. It's, it's, a, it's a great movie. It's uh, a smart movie. And I, I was thinking about this uh, today. If that movie came out for the first time today, it doesn't really make any sense to say that because it's been so derivative. Like, every, so much has been so derivative of, of it since. But mm-hmm. would we consider this an elevated horror movie if something like this came out today? That's funny. I have something very similar to ask you in my notes. Yeah, it, it definitely proves, I think, that with the right idea, you can still hang a very interesting story on a slasher framework. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's, it is a smart movie. It has real ideas. It has real themes that sort of inform the horror, which is basically what elevated horror does, except it generally leans into like trauma is the monster, which it doesn't, you know, at least it's smarter than that. Yeah, it is smarter than that. There's real trauma here. I mean, you know, when I talk about, you know, uh, putting interesting ideas on the framework of the slasher, I didn't mean to insult Ty West directly. Uh, or, uh, you know, Eli Roth, maybe uh, he should be offended. <laughs> maybe so. But man, yeah, what a, what a great movie from the jump. Um, it, it has so much suspense, so much horror. It really makes you feel like, and I love it when sci-fi can do this because they don't do it very often. Space is really, really weird, really re- weird and dangerous. Yes. And uh, the danger within, the danger without, and the way that it plays with both of those ideas. Uh, who can you trust? What can you trust? Can you trust your own body? I mean, these are all very simple questions, but there's so much horror you can find in it. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of, you know, and we don't usually go down this route, but a lot of sexual sexual undercurrents and uh, uh, themes playing throughout this movie with the, obviously the face huggers impregnating you through the mouth, trying to kill Ripley with a rolled up like magazine in the mouth. It's, yeah, it, we... It's a very interesting undercurrent, and we have shied away from that as a society or maybe in horror a lot. 
That's true. And even even when uh, when Ridley Scott comes back, it's not like that's really that pervasive. That doesn't seem to be the stuff that he's especially interested in, even though he handles it well in Alien. Yeah. It, maybe they need to kick it over to Cronenberg. Let him handle an alien movie. Oh, man, he's he would never. I don't think. But he it, it, I mean, it's that body horror instinct that very few people do body horror well yeah. or intelligently. And the two of them are able to pull it off. I mean, Cronenberg, anytime he tries, basically, he finds some way to get that and, you know, get under your skin with images you'd never even think of. Uh, Ridley Scott never really goes back there. Uh, I guess maybe elements of Blade Runner a little bit, but not not in any meaningful way. Well, that's why I think we go. We, we, we circle back to the beginning of the conversation. It's probably Dan O'Bannon. And his impulse is there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, thank God that somebody like him was thoughtful. He was smart. He was thinking about how terrifying pregnancy is and uh, the way the body changes. And he was able to manifest his fear into a really, really smart script. And then that, thank God beyond that, that H.R. Giger was able to design this amazing creature. I mean, the, the, uh, the designs of Alien, that's the star of the show, which is how you'd hope it would be in a, in a horror movie in general, monster movie. And uh, it, it's just, I don't think it's ever been matched, really. And all the sequels can never really match up to the fact of just seeing that, seeing that dread, seeing the disgusting nature of the creature itself. Uh, it's amazing stuff. It's firing on all cylinders. It's a great movie. 